Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. We've paused our study in 2 Samuel. We paused that last week. We'll pick that up in January. Today we begin our Christmas series. This Christmas series is titled, What If Jesus Had Not Been Born? In this series, we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to just be looking at what the Bible says about Christmas, but we're going to be looking at the impact that Jesus Christ has had on world history for the last 2,000 years and how the world is literally a different place because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Many of the things that Jesus has changed are actually so obvious to us that we miss them. For example, did you ever consider that Jesus' birthday is the way that we measure time for every single person on the planet? It's true. Time is measured either by B.C., which is before Christ, or A.D., which is actually Latin for Anno Domini, meaning from the year of our Lord. So we are living in 2023, 2023 years since the year of our Lord, which I find it rather interesting because even an atheist, when he's writing a letter to his best friend and he dates it on the top, he's forced, even in his atheism, to reference the date of Christ's birth when he puts a date on the top of the letter. So this is some of the interesting ways that Jesus' birth has impacted all of history. Jesus was born in an obscure village. You think about it, he just worked as a carpenter until the age of 30. And then around the age of 30, he preached for three years. He did miracles for three years. In his entire life, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. And then he never wrote a book. And then he died on a Roman cross. And when he died, he was so poor that the only thing Jesus possessed was his own clothing that had to be divided by the soldiers. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb because he didn't even have his own tomb. Yet 2,000 years later, after his life, death, burial, and subsequent resurrection, there are 1.8 billion people today who follow Jesus. Think of all the powerful Caesars, all the powerful governors, all the powerful rulers on the earth at the time of Jesus. Folks, every single one of them is dead. They're buried. Not a single person today worships them, thinks about them, or even cares about them. Every single one of them has their bodies in the grounds and their souls are awaiting final judgment. They had no impact on world history. But Jesus completely changed the shape of world history. And today we're going to look at how Jesus changed things, beginning with the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, but then we're going to broaden it out. We're going to look at how Jesus changed education, as you and I know it today, then how he changed medicine, the way we experience, and also the world of sciences, as we know. So let's take your outlines out. We'll start on the top. The birth of Jesus changed the wise men. We'll start in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, 
Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's ask a few questions. Who were the wise men? Some different translations call them the magi, from where we get our English word magicians. So who were these guys? Were they wise guys or were they tricky guys? What kind of guys were they? It says they came from the east, that's from the area of Persia, from the area of Babylon, and they came to worship the newborn baby Jesus. They traveled hundreds of miles, but then you start to wonder, how did they even hear about Jesus' birth? Did somebody text them? I mean, how would they find out? Well, let's just look at some of these questions. It says they knew about his birth from the star when it rose. Some kind of star clued them in to the fact that Jesus had been born. Some of the things we need to know is the wise men were typically known as astronomers. They studied the stars. But for our purpose this morning, you need to know they were more than just astronomers in Babylonian culture. They were the men of great learning in Persian society. Historically, We know they were the experts in the sciences. They were the experts in medicine. They were the most highly educated in Babylonian culture. And for thousands of years, many people have speculated how these wise men knew about the birth of Jesus. We know that they recognized it from a star that showed up in the sky, but which particular star was it? And the answer is, we don't know. Nobody knows for sure. But how were these guys in Babylon having any kind of connection to look in the sky, to see a star, and to think about the birth of the Jewish king? How did they get any of this information? We don't know for sure, but what we do know is this. In the book of Daniel, Daniel, who was a Jewish boy who was taken into with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken into exile in Babylon, after he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it tells us in Daniel chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, that Nebuchadnezzar put him as head of the wise men in Babylon. So Daniel apparently trained them and taught them and maybe would know some kind of interesting thing to say when the particular star appears in the sky, stuff that we don't even know about, that would be signaling the birth of the Jewish king. So that's about as much as we know about how to tie those guys together. Let's continue to look at a little more text. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now after listening to the king, they went on their way. 
And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we know that the wise men were the most educated people in Babylon. As I said, they were educated in, in things like sciences, such as astronomy, as well as medicine. And they traveled over 600 miles to come and worship Jesus. Jesus, who they knew, they knew would be so significant, he would change the world. He was the newborn Jewish king. Herod, on the other hand, he also knew that Jesus was significant, that he would be a threat to him. So Herod set out to destroy Jesus while you have the wise men deciding to worship Jesus. Both Herod and the wise men knew that Jesus would change history. But I don't think either of them understood how dramatically they would, Jesus would change the next 2,000 years of history. That brings us to what is the rest of our study. Let me show you how Jesus has changed these areas. Let's look, begin by looking at this. The birth of Jesus changed education. Today, every school you see, whether it is public or private, whether it is a grade school or a graduate school, has its roots in the life and birth and death of Jesus Christ. Education existed in the time before Jesus, but it was only for the select few. But public education, of which you and I are a benefit of, came about because of the birth of Jesus and the desire to be able to read about him and to know about him. Let me show you the first way. The first point I want to make is codifying languages. That's point A on your outline. Many of the world's languages, we need to realize, were first set into writing by Christian missionaries. They went to various people groups around the world in hopes that they could teach people how to read the Bible so they could learn about Jesus. In fact, even today, there are around 300 million people who only have an oral language, but who do not have a written language. And we know about missions organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators. They send missionaries to these people to help understand their language, to develop an alphabet, and to write their language. And what's the first book they usually give them? The Bible. The Bible is the reason that many people can read and write today. Let me give you an example of this. One missionary, the guy's name is Ophelus, he was a Christian missionary to the Goths in the year 300 to 400 AD. Now, who were the Goths? The Goths were the Germanic tribes that ran across most of modern Europe. And Ophelus, he had a perverting desire to tell these people about Jesus. 
He went to their place. He studied their language because, once again, they didn't have a way of writing their language. They didn't have books. They didn't have an alphabet. He created an alphabet. Looks like there. That's the alphabet he created. Does it look sort of similar? It's called the Gothic alphabet. And what do you think the first thing was that he, after he created an alphabet and created words, what's the first things he gave them? The Gothic Bible. And you think about this. This was in the fourth century. The Gothic alphabet and the Gothic Bible probably wouldn't even existed if Jesus had not been born and a missionary had not been sent. Not just that, but let's take in two more missionaries. They're brothers, Cyril and Methodosius. The year is 870 to around 880. They were from Thessalonica. They traveled to Slovakia to tell the Slavs about Jesus. Once again, in Slovakia, they only had an oral language. They did not have a written language. They did not have an alphabet. So they set out to create an alphabet and to create writing in their language and ultimately to give them the, the Bible. And they created, uh, Cyril, who's one of those brothers, created what's known as the Cyrillic alphabet. Go ahead and put that one up. And you can tell already with the, who is a benefactor of the Cyrillic alphabet. You ever seen Russian? Russian is, comes from the Cyrillic alphabet. Today, 200 million people use the Cyrillic alphabet. It's the alphabet for more than 100 languages. What I think is hilarious is when someone who's an atheist in the Soviet Union writes a letter, they date it by the birth of Jesus in, fight, in spite of the fact they're an atheist. And the letters they use to write that, the Cyrillic alphabet, were letters that were created by missionaries who came to tell them about Jesus. You know, if Jesus had never been born, they may not have a dating system. If Jesus had never been born, they wouldn't have an alphabet that they could use to even write a letter. You see, Jesus changed education. He changed everything. Let me give you another example. The printing press. It was a monumental development in learning. Why was the printing press created? It was created to print Bibles. So people could learn about Jesus. Johannes Gutenberg, he lived from 1398 to 1468. Now, he is not the first person to create a movable type press, but he is the first person in history to create a movable type press that allowed for the mass production of books. This is his press. Sorry, it's a little bit of a graphical one, but that's what he created. He converted a wine press and made it into a printing press. And I did some research. You know what he said his stated goal was for why he did this? It's right in your outline. I put it down for you. I know what I want to do. I wish to print the Bible. Because he knew that if people could read about Jesus, their lives would be changed by Jesus. Folks, books, we probably wouldn't even have them if Jesus had never been born. If Gutenberg didn't have a burning desire to be able to print the Bible so people could learn about Jesus, Jesus has changed everything about education. How about this? Education for everyone. That's point C. Jesus is the reason we have public education for everyone. 
the first time we see public education being offered to everyone is actually in the 1500s during the Reformations. As the Reformers, as the Reformation took off, John Calvin was the one who publicly stated that he believed that the only way of the Reformation can continue from that generation into the next generation is if ordinary people could learn to read their Bibles. He said that is the only way you can move from papal authority to biblical authority as being the center of Christian life, if people can read. And so Calvin sought off to offer public education for everyone in Geneva. And his purpose was so people could read what Calvin said was God's first book, which was the Bible, and then only after they've understood the first book should they begin to take education to learn God's second book, which is nature itself. So in Geneva, Calvin offered public education for everyone for the first time, which has actually come down to us to our day. One study I, I ran across in preparation for this message talked about how years ago, how this desire for people to be able to read the Bible, to be able to learn about Jesus and have their life changed by Jesus, changed the literacy rates across the world. The study said that in China, uh, the literacy rate was between 0 and 20%. This is over 100 years ago, so if you're wondering when this was taken, this survey. Now, but in nations that were predominantly Catholic, the literacy rate ranged between 40 and 60%. But in nations that were predominantly Protestant, that had been influenced by the Reformation, the literacy rate ranged between 94 to 99%. Why? Because Christians had a burning desire to help people read so they could open their Bible and have their life changed. If Jesus had never been born, the burning desire for people to be able to read and the, the need to have books so they could read, first and foremost, the Bible, would never have taken place. Now, let's move from just education for everyone to education in America. Maybe some of you will remember this, some of these things, because they cover some of these things in, in school. Pilgrims and Puritans, when they came to America, in the year 1642, they made the first law requiring public education. In the year 1647, they passed what is known as the Old Deluder Satan Act, establishing schools and teachers in every town. And the name of the act is called the Old Deluder Satan Act because they said Satan deludes people, he tricks people, because they cannot read the Bible and know the truth. What an interesting way of putting it. Incidentally, for the first 217 years in our country's history, from the year 1620 to 1837, all education in America was private and it was Christian. Put my little photo up there. I think it was up there. Well, there you go. The early days. Now, here's a question for you. How did it work out? How did the literacy rate in America work when all education was private and Christian? In the 1800s, the literacy rate in England ranged between 48 to 74 percent. In the same time period in the colonies, the literacy rate ranged between 70 and 100 percent in America. But education was private and Christian. 
John Quincy Adams has a famous quote. He says that in the 1800s, you can only find four in every thousand people who were illiterate at the time and couldn't read. The strong emphasis in education in America was so people could read their Bibles and have their life changed by Jesus. But if Jesus had never been born, if Jesus had never come, would we have this great emphasis in education so you could know God's book and read God's book? Probably not. So the next time you can read and you open a book and you have a good education, Really, thank Jesus for it. Because if Jesus had never come, maybe we wouldn't be reading. By the way, let's go to American universities. You may not know this, but the first, almost all, the first 123 colleges and universities in America were established by a church or by a denomination. Every college in the colonies before the Revolutionary War, with the exception of the University of Pennsylvania, was established by a branch of the Christian church. And the University of Pennsylvania, even though it wasn't established by a branch of the Christian church, George Whitefield, who was a prominent evangelical and an evangelist, was foundational in establishing the school. Harvard, Yale, William and Mary, Princeton, New York University, Northwestern, and all the rest of 123 schools, all were Christian in their roots. And the purpose of why they were established was to help people read their Bibles and better understand God's word. Because if they knew their Bible better, they would end up loving Jesus more. If Jesus had never come, Colleges and universities in this country would have no reason to ever exist. I told you, Jesus changed everything about the world. Harvard, it began by a donation of books and money from the Reverend John Harvard. Dartmouth began as a missionary training school to train missionaries to the Indians. William and Mary, and this is one of its quotes at the very beginning, this school exists so that the Christian faith might be propagated. And then I put some of these in your outlines. The chief, about Columbia University, the chief thing that is aimed at in this college is to teach and engage children to know God in Jesus Christ. Or how about this from, um, from Princeton, when, um, from Reverend John Witherspoon, who was the president at the University of Time, that time. Cursed be all learning that is contrary to Christ, to the cross of Christ. If Jesus had never been born, folks, education as we know it, literacy, books, alphabets for around the world would not have even existed. Colleges, universities wouldn't exist. How about Sunday school. Many churches have Sunday schools. Do you know how they began? Sunday schools began in 18th century England by Robert Rakes. They began as an, a churches, churches trying to offer public education to poor children in the streets of Glasgow that was Christian-based so they could know their Bibles. If Jesus had never been born, that would have never existed. Now, let's flip around a little bit. 
for the first 217 years, almost all education in America was private and it was Christian-based. But today we have public education. How did that change take place? Let's look into that. Modern public education in America began in the year 1837 in Massachusetts. The man who began it was a fellow named Horace Mann. He was in the Massachusetts legislature. Religiously, he was a Unitarian. He did not believe in the Trinity. He did not believe in the Bible. And he was horrified that the first 217 years, all education in the United States was Christian-based and run by the church. So he set out to change that. He believed the state should control the education. State would control what people learned and how people read. Now, he also wanted to deliver people from what he called the influence of the Bible and the influence of Jesus. Now I ask you, how has state-run education gone since then? Well, I'll admit, in some places, you have pretty good schools. But in other places, you end up with some really bad schools, don't you? Teaching some really bad, weird things to children. Even when it comes to the illiteracy rates. There's a statistic I ran across that says right now there are 44 million illiterate children in the United States. And 50 million are what they call functionally illiterate. They can pass the test but really can't read. So when it comes to education, and understand, if Jesus had never been born, alphabets, Cyrillic, Gothic, many of those would have never been created. Um, printing presses, books, public education, colleges, universities, all those all the way go back to Jesus. And people wanting others to be able to read their Bibles, to learn the good news about why Jesus came. And if he had never come, those things wouldn't exist. Let's take the second topic, which the wise men were also known for. The birth of Jesus changed medicine. Let's talk about the creation of hospitals. The next time you go to a hospital and you need a surgeon, you really need to thank Jesus. Because if Jesus had never came, hospitals would have never existed. Prior to Jesus, there were very rudimentary hospitals that existed, but they were not widespread. Uh, the Romans had a hospital for their soldiers, but not much else. Public hospitals did not exist. After Jesus, though, caring for the sick and the vulnerable and the weak became a real priority. Hospitals, as we know them, began around the year 325 AD with what is known as the Council of Nicaea. If you're, you know church history, you know then the Council of Nicaea is famous because in that council, that's where the doctrine of the Trinity was officially established. But many people forget that also in the Council of Nicaea, a decision of the council, that wherever a church is begun, a hospital should be placed. That came out of the council. The bishops who came to that conference went home and began to create hospitals in the same areas in the cities as cathedrals. For instance, Basil of Caesarea, who was a Christian, he lived from 329 to 379. He created the first hospital that had beds in it to care for the sick as a Christian in response to the Council of Nicaea. 
A wealthy Christian woman named Fabiola started the first hospital in Rome. The year was 400 AD. As a Christian, as a response of Christian care for the sick in response to the Council of Nicaea. The oldest hospital that exists in the world today, which is in Paris, was started by a man who was a Christian in the year 600 AD. So the next time you go to the hospital, the next time you need a hospital, the next time you realize that you're just part of the general public, but you still can go to the hospital, you better thank Jesus. Because if Jesus had never been born, there would have been no Council of Nicaea, which declared that everywhere a church is planted, a hospital should be, because Jesus cared for the sick, and so should we. Now let's look at hospitals in the United States. In America, the first hospitals that began came out of a church origin, incidentally. Uh, they came out of denominations. Before they were called hospitals in the United States, actually the first thing was called almshouses, giving alms to the poor. The first one was created by William Penn, who was a Quaker, by the way, and it was opened to the public in 1782 to help anyone in need. It's common, by the way, in those early hospitals. They had Bibles in them, even before the Gideons. And they also required mandatory services on Sunday that if you were there and you could physically make it, you had to attend because they were church-based hospitals in America. Even today, if you go to many of the big hospitals, you can see their church-based roots. You see things like the Baptist Hospital or St. Luke's Presbyterian Hospital. You can see that church-based beginning. So next time you need a hospital, thank Jesus, because they came about after his birth so people would be compassionate and caring to the poor. Another example. Ancient and modern nursing did some research on this. Love for Jesus began compelling women to care for the sick. If you go back far enough, you find that there were women who joined convents in the 1500s to care for the sick. One of the famous ones was called the Daughters of Charity, where they were charged with going house to house to care for those who were sick and ill. But modern nursing, the way we know it today, skilled nursing, began with a woman named Florence Nightingale. She lived around 1820 to 1910. There's Florence, thank you. And she claims that her inspiration for modern nursing actually came out of her relationship with Jesus Christ. She writes about when she was 17 years old, she gave her life wanting to be used by Jesus any way he saw fit. But she didn't know what to do and how that would work out. It wasn't until she was in her 30s when she became a deaconess in the Lutheran church and she began to get some formal training about how to care for sick people as a deaconess. And she ended up going and helping those who were wounded in the Crimean War returned from that and wrote about it in England. People were so moved by her book that she started formal nursing training in London in the year 1860. And she was the beginning of formal nursing training, the kind of nurses that you and I experience in the hospital 
every time we go there. So when we go to the hospital, we don't just thank Jesus for the existence of a hospital, but we thank Jesus for the existence of nursing care as we know it, skilled care in the hospital. It all goes all the way back to a woman named Florence Nightingale, who was a Christian. Here's a little quote from her. The kingdom of heaven is within, but we must also make it without. Let me give you one more um, piece of how Jesus has changed the medical community, which is the Red Cross. This is a, a wonderful story. In the middle of the 19th century, there was a Christian who started what has become the greatest humanitarian movement the world has ever seen. It's the Red Cross. The man's name was Henry Dunant. He lived from 1828 to 1920. He was a Swiss banker. He was a Christian and an active member of his church. The first thing he established was for young men in Geneva who were just really sort of getting into trouble. He created what's called the YMCA, the Young Men's Christian Association in Geneva in 1850. But Henry had a unique style about him. He was much more of an international man with an international vision and a very big thinker. So in 1855, he created what is known as the World Conference of the YMCA. And he, he made, he was, a, he was the one who made the YMCA charter, which is still in use today, and tried to make sure YM, YMCAs spread throughout the world. And so next time you go to work out at the Y, by the way, you can realize that the guy who created the whole thing, Henry Dunnant, came from Geneva, and he was a profound Christian with really a global aim. But the YMCA set him up for what was his biggest work ever, which was the Red Cross. In 1859, remember he's a Swiss banker, he was on business in Italy. And while there, he witnessed a terrible battle with many people wounded. And he gave himself for weeks to help the wounded who were often staying in churches. And he realized that so many lives could be saved if there was just some basic medical care that was given to people after they were wounded. And he began thinking about this and praying about this. God with my skills that you've given me to be able to do international business, what could I do about this pressing problem of people dying just because they need basic medical care? And the idea of the YMCA was born. In the year 1864, with 24 delegates from 16 nations, he began the Red Cross. I'm going to put the graphic up. There it is. It's the Red Cross. And keep that graphic up for a moment. Now, we see the Red Cross, but we often miss the significance of this. To us, it looks like a plus sign. It is a truncated cross. This is not called the Red Plus Sign Group. It's called the Red Cross Group. He made a red cross because of Jesus. And how Jesus had changed his life. The Red Cross today has saved millions of lives being the hands and feet of Jesus. If Jesus had never been born, the Red Cross might never have existed. Most people are oblivious to the fact that the Red Cross is literally like the Red Cross of Jesus. But not everyone's oblivious to that. 
when Muslim nations became interested in having a Red Cross, they would not allow the Red Cross to be in a Muslim land, like the cross of Jesus. So they wanted to change it. They created a whole different organization. It's called the Red Crescent. You can put that one up. So if you've been watching some of the on-the-ground news in Gaza, uh, when the war between Israel and the Palestinians, you always hear about the Red Crescent with the wounded. That's the Red Cross, but it's the Muslim version of the Red Cross. Folks, if Jesus had never come and touched and changed the heart of Henry Dunant, your YMCA would never exist. The Red Cross would have never come into existence. And by the way, the Red Crescent probably wouldn't have come into existence either because it's just a derivative of the Red Cross. Jesus, I told you, has changed the world. So many things right in front of us that are just changed by Jesus that we completely miss, like the Red Cross and hospitals and nurses, all these things. Let's take one more. The birth of Jesus changed science. Today we hear that the Bible and science are contradictory, that the Bible is fairy tales, the Bible is fiction, and people who are smart, people who are bright, would never believe the Bible. And I need to tell you, that's complete hogwash. Many of the brightest and most gifted minds who have been on this planet, one of the best scientists out there, have been devout believers in Jesus Christ. So let me show you a few. Louis Pasteur. Let's put the pasteurization guy up there. There you go. 1822 through 1895. He was a French chemist, microbiologist. His research led to a better understanding of the causes and preventions of diseases. He led the way in understanding the importance of hygiene, of germs, and how to kill them. He developed the pasteurization of milk, which is the process we still use today. He developed vaccines, vaccination for rabies he created, vaccination for anthrax. He is the founder of modern bacteriology, microbiology, and germ theory. All those things, thanks to Wikipedia, by the way. And the other thing we often forget, they don't teach you this in school. Louis Pasteur was a devout Christian who loved Jesus. The favorite thing I read about him in research for this was this, and I'm just sort of paraphrasing it. He was a devout Christian. He wrote about his faith in God, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the power, the power for good God gives us in this world. And when he died, I love this part, the hand of his wife he held with one hand, and he held a cross in the other. Man, Louis Pasteur, brilliant, made huge differences in our world. He wasn't an atheist, folks. He was a Christian. How about this one? Joseph Lister. You can put Lister up there. He's got an interesting mug. Year was 1827, died in 1912. He was an English surgeon, and he is the creator of modern-day antiseptics. And he built on Louis Pasteur's germ theory. In the year 1865, he began using something called carbonic acid to kill germs. He pioneered the idea of heat-sterilizing surgical instruments, both of which saw a dramatic decrease in post-operative fatalities. And he created um, 
Also absorbable stitches. You know, when you go into the doctor and they stitch you on the inside, he's the guy who created them. He's also the guy who created wound drainage. You ever had a drain in a wound? This is the first guy to ever do that. Brilliant man. This is what is, let me quote him. I'm a believer in the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. Christian, look at the incredible impact he had in his world. Now, here's a little bit of fun for you. Later on in history, a guy named Joseph Lawrence developed an antiseptic to be used for surgery. And to honor Joseph Lister, he called his antiseptic Listerine. Listerine, in a watered-down version, began to be sold in America in the year 1914. It's still sold today. Listerine is named after Joseph Lister. So next time you rinse your mouth out with Listerine, no, it was a Christian who created it. Now, let's take another one. Johannes Kepler. He lived from 1571 to 1630. He's a man who coined the phrase, thinking God's thoughts after him. He was an astronomer, a mathematician, and a Christian. Uh, he believed God created the universe in a very orderly way. So if we could study it, we could understand the universe because we have an orderly God who created orderly things. Kepler is known as the founder of modern astronomy, the founder of the scientific method, a pioneer in optics, he developed the laws of planetary motion. Kepler loved the Bible, and Kepler loved Jesus Christ. They happened to leave that out of your public education, didn't they? Let me quote you. This is Kepler. Since we, are, since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it befits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather, above all else, of the glory of God. He's a Christian. How about Blaise Pascal? I'll put a picture on there about Blaise Pascal. 1623 to 1662. You know, Pascal has a computer language named after him. He's a pioneer in mathematics, a pioneer in geometry. He created the first working barometer. He created the first calculator to ever exist called the Pascaline. He developed syringes. He's the founder of the hydraulic press. He's also a devout Christian who spent most many of his latter years writing about Jesus. In his greatest work, he says, is his ponces, his thoughts, devotionally wrote about Jesus. And people got frustrated with him because he kept writing about God towards the end of his life instead of working on science. This is to quote him. The Christian's God does not merely consist of a God who is the author of mathematical truths and the order of the elements. That is the notion of the heathen. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of the Christians is a God of love and consolation. Give you one more scientist. Isaac Newton. Put him up there. He's got the big fluffy hair. He's from 1642 to 1727. He's another brilliant guy. He created the law of motion. He created the mathematical laws for gravity. He created the mathematical laws of the tide. Created the trajectory calculations for comets. The first person to create a practical refraction telescope. Created color theory by the separating of color into bands of light. The first person to calculate the speed of sound. Created the theory of fluid dynamics. Major contributor to calculus. And by the way, a very serious and devout Christian who loved Jesus Christ. 
He writes this in his book, The Principia. The most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. I have a foundational belief in the Bible as the word of God written by men who were inspired. I study the Bible daily. Atheism is so senseless. When I look at our solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive the proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. So all those people who tell you, oh, really smart people don't believe the Bible. Scientists have proven it wrong. It's all baloney. Some of the best scientific minds who have ever been on the planet were devout Christians who loved Jesus. So here's my application for you. Number one, I want to give you a quote by James Francis. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. True? Amen. Here's my applications. Jesus changed history, and he changed it for the better. We saw that in education. We saw that in medicine. We saw that in the sciences. The other one is this. If Jesus changed history, folks, he can change your story. Because more amazing, the way he has changed this world and the sciences and medicine and education is how he can change ordinary people's lives. Because the reason he came was not primarily to make the world a better place to live, but he came to die in our place for our sins. So if we would trust in him, he would make us into a new creation and restore our relationship with God. That, my friends, is the most amazing thing that Jesus Christ did in this world, and he can do it for you, and he can do it for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a lot of stuff to look at about how, Jesus, you have changed world history. I thank you uh, just for opening our eyes to some of these things today. Realizing that so many of the things that we enjoy with regards to education and medicine and sciences, and these things directly come as the result of people wanting to tell others about Jesus. So we thank you, Jesus, for being born. We thank you for the blessings we enjoy in society because of the influence that Christians and the church have had upon it. And we also thank you, especially, that the most important thing of why you came is that you came to give us new life and to make us into new people who know you in this life, but know you and enjoy you forever in the next. We ask this in God's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.